Musiket, where I talk about taboo topics that aren't commonly discussed in Malaysia. Uh, so I just watched this amazing TED Talk from 2015, I think. Wait, come on. Yeah, November 2015, by a 12-year-old boy named Dylan So from Singapore. I think he's like 15 now, but anyway, that's not a point. Um, it's a brilliant talk by this young man. Like honestly, it's it, it's a it was a really good and engaging presentation um, about when we grow older into adulthood, uh, about us like becoming scared to take risks and how we tend to follow the social status quo that's being laid out for us by society it yeah i mean that's a pretty normal occurrence i th- i think uh amongst myself and my friends a lot of us have gone through this struggle before some of us are taking a different route off the beaten track as you say and some of us are still kind of suffering through this uh difficulty right now <laughs> Uh, I wanted to talk about this because oftentimes I do get uh, questions from people that I meet after, you know, giving talks or uh, just doing shows, exhibitions, or also a lot of my friends always ask me, like, how am I doing today? Like, how am I doing what I'm doing today, basically? How am I not scared of failing? How am I stable like how do how did i sustain myself doing what i'm doing today just just how how basically and okay let's put it into context again i'll tell you a little bit about my background so i'm currently uh, a malaysian woman in her late 20s um i come from a pretty fortunate and privileged privileged life uh while when i was born my parents Uh, were in the position in life financially to be able to afford, you know, a better house, better cars, you know, all the all the good things that baby boomers love, you know. Um, so I grew up in that scene, uh, and I was raised by parents who worked really hard, you know, to to give us financial security as a as a family. Um, all of my siblings and I have had different types of like primary and secondary educations. We've been, we've all been to public school, international school, and private schools, uh, and we've all also lived abroad for many years for our tertiary education and and my sister during her teenage years as well. Um, my father is a pretty chilled out person. Um, he's the type of person who's kind of just happy with whatever you want to do as long as you do it well and you're happy and you're independent that's kind of what he is like right now he's still working he's not retired because he just loves to work and he loves what he does and uh, he's in a position where he has a team of people working for him so um, he's more of like a consultant so he's really happy um, he's never had high expectations of his children <laughs> And like in Malaysia, we have this thing called SPM after high school. I mean, during high school, I mean, it's your last year of high school and you're supposed to take this exam that will kind of uh, 
put value to your education, basically, so that you can enter university. And I had just, I had achieved five A's um, out of, I think, 11 subjects, which actually academically is not great. But my dad was so proud of those five A's because he was expecting me to only get one A for English. (laughs) That's how much expectations he has on his children. (laughs) Um, I kind of think that this is due to my father's upbringing. Um, He's actually a really clever and knowledgeable person, but um, I think growing up, he always had his way because he is a Malay Malay man growing up. So he didn't have as many hurdles compared to a typical person in the 1950s. Um, But my mother, on the other hand, uh, was an overachieving woman from a kampong of... Uh, in a family of like nine other siblings and she had to take care of them and also juggle her studies while growing up and being like a young Malay woman at a time that wasn't really easy because you you needed to work really hard uh, at school but also you have to you have you're obliged to take care of your family and help your parents take care of all the all the other children you know Um, she used to sew her own clothes because she couldn't afford to buy clothes and, uh, she, to, to, to maintain her grades, you know, to, to constantly be a a straight A student, uh, she would wake up every single day at three in the morning to study before school. Uh, she was denied the opportunity to study science subjects like biology, chemistry, and things like that, because, uh, back then, you know, they were really, they were sexist, but also they just didn't want to give opportunities to women at the time. So she was put into home economics, but she excelled in that. Like she was, she was good no matter what. Um, this kind of perpetuated uh, her overachieving, neurotic and diligent character that that people now. Uh, experience today Um, and she became one of the leading ladies of her industry which is in psychology and human resources so you know she's the complete opposite of my father she has very high expectations and especially very very high expectations on her children so (laughs) so growing up um, you know I've always been a creative I've always been a creative person I've always been good at art uh, my mom saw that and she pushed me into doing architecture because, you know, art doesn't pay the bills and she didn't know what the hell graphic design was. And when I suggested I wanted to be a cartoonist, she just ignored me, basically. <laughs> um, so I think uh, my my degree was mostly uh, set out for me already. My mother wanted me to take architecture and because I didn't know what to do, I just I, I went for it. And it was beneficial overall uh, to my to my development. However, I wasn't passionate about it. I just I don't show as much interest towards buildings as I do towards other things, you know. And architecture is just another another uh, essential part of the design industry, which I didn't know at the time. But I just I didn't care about buildings basically. Um, my mom had good intentions, obviously, and she wanted uh, my siblings and I to follow the normal route of like getting high education, you know, 
like excelling in higher education, you know, getting like first class honors and working to earn a living and be millionaires. That's basically what she dreamt for us. But unfortunately, because we are all the spawns of Satan, <laughs> none of us did that. <laughs> um, my brother, who my mom wanted to be like a computer science specialist, became a, a liaison for sales in hotel bookings for the Japanese market because he's he's fluent in Japanese. So, you know, my brother's pretty cool in that sense. He knows how to, he, he is a, a, a niche in the market for the Japanese uh, 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 Japanese visitors who come to Malaysia. So he's, he's the liaison usually. Um, my sister, who my mom wanted to be a biologist, is now in politics, policy making, and international affairs. <laughs> Complete opposite. Well, is it opposite? But yeah, not, not in science, basically. And for myself, she wanted me to be some Archie star, you know, some Frank Gehry or, or Zaha Hadid, but instead, I now specialize in brand management services, graphics, and sometimes art too, and I'm feeling extra creative, you know? <laughs> uh, um, but to be fair, uh, my family are fortunate enough to have this opportunity to take different routes, especially financially. So I do understand when there are others who need to earn for a living because that's the reality of the world and most of Malaysia. So please please take my story to context and and consider the upbringing that I was fortunate enough to have when I'm telling you this. Um, I really mostly wanted to talk to you about the mental conflict that you face when you've grown up in an environment where everyone around you, your family, your friends, your community are just trying to tell you how to live your life and what you should do in the future, how you should be an adult, what you should study, who you should marry. Um, and basically, how do you ignore that? And how do you follow your own voice? Well, um, after I finished my degree, I was still pretty clueless and very much unhappy in the field of architecture. I, I did not want to see myself in an architecture studio, just drafting and working overtime and things. It's just, it's not something I, I wanted. And uh, at the time, after I finished my degree, with, 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 with pretty good grades, by the way, so I, I, wasn't, I wasn't horrible. I was just not happy. <laughs> um, my mother persisted in trying to get me to continue to pursue architecture. And she wanted me to go into a master's in architecture and, you know, take the part three exam, yada, yada, stuff like all that long process of becoming an architect, basically. And I was so not into it. So after a lot of arguments and a lot of fights, I made a deal with her. I, I told, like... I said, like, mother, I'll apply for master's in architecture in, in several universities, but I will also apply for other courses like a master's in set design, uh, design innovation, um, uh, architectural visualization, you know, other, other stuff that are not solely architecture. And if I do get accepted into these other courses, that will be a sign for me to pursue that as opposed to... Uh, doing architecture and I said that when I do this I will be independent at some point and I will not have to depend on you anymore so safe to say that uh, that was the beginning of me 
kind of taking this a step towards a different direction uh, because I got accepted into a school to do design innovation. So thank God. my I mean, it took a long time for my mom to be convinced. Like I think after I graduated, she was convinced that I should have not done architecture. But anyway, I had to prove her wrong, basically. And I excelled. I excelled. I, I was, I think, one of the best students in school. So, you know, if I put my mind to it, I can do great things, basically. I just need to be happy. <laughs> anyway, back to the point. Um, so I got accepted to the school. I traveled to the UK to complete my studies. Um, and along the way, I met, like, incredible people from around the world, and they became my friends, and I met my significant other during my studies. Um, I had the opportunity to basically expand my horizons and, you know, just open up my, my eyes and burst that bubble that I was in while I was back in Malaysia. And as scary as it was to be on my own for the first time ever in my life, like ever, uh, I must say that that one year of master's taught me so much more about myself than the four years I had in architecture school. And it was liberating. It was great. Um, but of course, you know, after school, uh, the reality of, of life hit me like a pile of bricks. I had to figure out what I needed to do, how to do it, what I dedicate my life to, uh, what my goals were, what's my direction. I was just going through a lot mentally and I had severed my parents' safety net so I was no longer there. Uh, I, was, I was kind of no longer safe and I, I was hanging from a thread, you know. And I put myself in that position so I was panicking, <laughs> basically. Uh, honestly, like, at the time, I was like, fuck, how do I earn money? I don't even know how to get a job. You know, I was so worried about being broke. I was getting, I was developing anxiety as as most adults do. Um, like, what if I couldn't pay my rent next month? What if I couldn't buy, you know, pasta from Tesco? These were legitimate worries that I, were, I was having while I was like looking at my monthly bank statement. It was, it was, uh, frightening you know to be to for your whole life be dependent on my parents who again I'm very fortunate to have had this privilege and I'm I'm so grateful for it but but when you have had the safety net your whole life and suddenly you want to take that risk to just cut it out and do things on your own it it's a different type of stress, I think. It's a different type of um, um, difficulty that you face as an individual, as a very young, clueless individual. Uh, it made me feel quite alone, actually. And, you know, but eventually what I did learn was that um, gaining experience was more important than money. Money is secondary, so I, at some point, uh, got paralyzed by it, but I, I tried my best to push that aside, push that worry aside just for a little bit, you know, so that I can push forward. And I realized that I just, for that moment, needed to understand how to function as an adult and how businesses worked, how working life would be like 
and and how I needed to find a balance between everything in my life. So I started applying for like a hundred jobs. I think it was it was quite a lot of emails and a lot of rejections with my pathetic CV of no experience and my portfolio of just like a few things from my from my master's and my degree, like literally no work experience. Um, I I did somehow manage to get a my first freelance job which I charged quite an embarrassing amount for thinking back. And I did also get a part-time job in a startup, which sucked the life out of me. It was so stressful. And I mean, it's a startup. That's the startup life, startup life, right? It's really quick paced and everything. But I just didn't, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So anyway, uh, as tiring and as stressful as it was, I was like, I mean, I still am. I'm just very grateful for the experience because it kind of propelled me towards my goals, which at that point, I still didn't know what it was. I still haven't solidified my goals, but I felt that I was getting closer to it, whatever it was, you know. And since then, I opened up a somewhat failed company. (laughs) I created many exhibition installations. I grew my network. I gained more amazing contacts of professionals and just people who are really supportive. Um, I I became part of communities. Um, I learned so much about current design trends and about the industry. I managed to work with um, quite a few big international clients while at the same time independently paying for the things that I love, like travel, to see the world, food, you know, all these things. And right now, I'm at a position where, although I don't make that much money, honestly, I don't, uh, I'm not (laughs) balling, but I am very fortunate to be in a position where I don't have to stress about it. I don't work to make money I work to create meaningful things and to sustain my life of wanting to travel and just be happy and I think when you talk about taking risks and going off the beaten track it's really about just doing what you like what you actually really love and constantly trying to grow your mind expand your knowledge and just be a person who's open to learning constantly learning um it will take you off so many off-beaten paths. What did I write here? It will take you off so many off-beaten paths that you'll end up. Oh, okay. Yeah, what I wrote here is that because of this path that I that I, that I took, like I've I've managed to expand my portfolio to a very interesting and diverse array of things. So like from designing STEM education games to uh, doing art installations about the evolution of language to writing an online magazine and also to doing this podcast, you know, like it's, I'm no longer afraid to take risks because if I get rejected or if I fail or, you know, whatever it is, I'm okay with it. Like, okay, I failed. Or, okay, this didn't work. I learn from it and then I move on. Like, what's what's so scary about failing? What's so scary about not having money? It's it's not scary because I'm in a position where I, I shouldn't be scared, you know? And I should be taking the path that's 
less taken, you know. There's no, there's no excuse. So if the world around you is against you, it's okay. That's fine. As Dylan So, the young boy from the TED Talk, said, or asked, he said, ask yourself, do I want to live their life or mine? Whose voice do I listen to, theirs or mine? And he also wrote a song with his father. It's like a, it's a, it's like a short poem. It says, if I don't try, I won't know. If I don't know, the fear will grow. So I must try, then I'll know. When I know, the fear will go. And I think that's true. When, when you're scared of something, when you're scared of an idea that you have, that's usually a compass, your personal compass, telling you that you should take that route. Like if you're scared of something, go head first into it. Do it. Do whatever it is. And if you fail, it's fine. If you get rejected, it's okay. Just maybe sulk a little bit, but pick yourself up and move on and move on to your next idea. Because I think it's worth doing. I think when you know that you've done it and whether it's succeeded or whether it's failed, at least you've done it. And you should be happy that you've done it and it should be fulfilling. And that's just how I want to live my life. I don't want to be safe. I understand that there are realities that block you from certain things sometimes, but sometimes you just have to take take that risk and take the off-beaten track. All right, I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say about this. Um, I hope you kind of like my, my little background story. Um, and I hope you are inspired. Oh, I, please watch the TED Talk by Dylan So, this 12-year-old boy. It's, it's such a lovely presentation. I'll link it in the description. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at TabooSikit. And I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye!